0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website libertyfamilychurch.net.au Do you ever get distracted when you're talking about something and then go on to talk about another topic altogether? I sure do. I can do that from time to time. Just ask my wife, Laura. She'll affirm that that is very true. Seriously, though, sometimes maybe you find yourself interacting with a colleague at work or a good friend and you're chatting and then all of a sudden your mind just goes to the men's ICC T20 World Cup final where Australia beat the New Zealand Black Caps, and you're thinking, man, that was such a great game. That had me on the edge of my seat and you're just all the way off down another train of thought. Perhaps that's you or... Maybe you find yourself trying really hard to be present with someone while you're enjoying conversation over dinner. But the problem is they've just served you up this delicious tiramisu and you are just so distracted as you taste all the flavors and and it's just taking you to another place altogether and, and, and you're just completely lost. You are distracted. And then you can't help but change the topic to say, oh, how good is this tiramisu? Isn't it fantastic? And then that doesn't always go so well when you're trying to be present with someone. They don't feel so honored. You know, we can all get distracted at times, can't we, in conversation? It happens to all of us. And right here in Ephesians chapter 3, this is what happens to the Apostle Paul. Paul gets distracted on what he starts out on saying, and he gets excited and shares at length about the mystery of Christ. So why is Paul so excited? Why is Paul so excited about this mystery of Christ? And what is this mystery of Christ that Paul speaks of? And perhaps a really good question, what's all of this got to do with us individually and corporately as members of his church? Well, we're going to find out in just a moment. But first, let's pray and invite Holy Spirit to really guide us and speak to us and powerfully move in our hearts as we reflect on the mystery this morning that Paul speaks of. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the wonder of your word. We thank you for the way that your word is so transforming to us. If we're feeling down, your word helps to lift us up. If we're feeling kind of just in between, your word helps us to remember that it's okay to feel that way at times. And when we're feeling joyful and on the mountaintop and experiencing the fullness of joy in life, I guess, Lord, we are encouraged to see that that is something we can experience too through your word. But Lord, we also thank you that your word speaks about the big truths of life. It speaks about the big spiritual realities that are ours when we trust in Jesus Christ. And so today, Lord, as we reminded again of this mystery that Paul speaks of, we pray that we might be captured by this mystery, like Paul, and that th- this mystery might change our lives as we play our part in outworking what we are called to do as members of your church. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn and read Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 to 13 together now. As we've seen over the course of Ephesians 1 and 2, Paul goes deep. He goes super deep. He shares at length about so many remarkable spiritual realities, spiritual truths, and lays down some great theology, some things that we need to know and will free us if we truly grasp in our hearts about God. He shares about God's heart for mankind, God's plans through Jesus for the salvation not only of the Jews, but of all people, and he also shares what God's ideal church actually looks like—a church that's made up of Jews and Gentiles, in other words, a church that's made up of all people. And now, in chapter three here, Paul continues laying down some fol- solid, fol- solid, solid theological framework for us. But he starts by talking about himself. He starts by talking about his calling and how God has worked and continues to work in and through his ministry. Now, you might think, well, this is a bit unusual. This is Paul we're talking about here. Why is he all of a sudden drawing attention to himself? He's all about pointing others to Jesus. What is going on here? It kind of seems a little bit self-indulgent of Paul. But notice what it is that Paul shares and where your focus, as you hear him share, naturally goes as a result of what it is that he shares. In Ephesians 3 verse 1, Paul reminds us of a remarkable truth, a remarkable startling reality, really, that we often forget about when we read a letter of his, like Ephesians, in our day today. Paul the gung-ho gospel ninja that he is. He's so filled with joy and wonder and hope and passion to share the good news of the gospel with everyone. Paul, this man, this remarkable man, is writing this hope-filled, Christ-exalting, Christ-centered letter while he's where? In prison. Paul is in prison. He's in jail. Ephesians 3 1. For this reason, I, Paul, are prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Ephesians, along with Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, are known as Paul's prison epistles or letters. It's generally accepted, scholars generally accept that this is the case, that all four of these particular letters were written by Paul during his imprisonment um, by the Romans in the years AD 60 to 62. So just let that truth sink in to your mind and and your heart just for a moment. The Apostle Paul wrote all of these remarkable, profound, hope-filled truths that we've explored so far through Ephesians while he was, as verse 1 says, genuinely a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. That's pretty profound, isn't it? If you think about it, Paul in prison, no doubt not having a great time. Roman prisons weren't exactly the kind of places you'd want to uh, enjoy as an Airbnb or something like that. He was well and truly suffering in prison. And yet he wrote the kind of letter that we read because of his love and because he was captured by the gospel. But this gets even more profound. Paul doesn't say that he's merely a prisoner to the Roman Empire, which he was, or even a prisoner as a result of Jewish leaders, those leaders who really gave it to him and had it out for him because he'd turned from persecuting Christians to promoting Christianity. But Paul says he was a prisoner of Christ Jesus. What's he getting at when he says this statement? Well, Paul's saying that he is in the situation he is, his Locked up, he's facing many challenges and he's suffering for the Gentiles because he has been captured by Jesus. Because he's been captured by Jesus and the gospel and he's simply doing exactly what God has called him to do. Spreading the gospel throughout the Gentile world. That's why Paul describes himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. It, it, it's summing up what his calling is from God. And you notice something too, that, that Paul's not bemoaning the fact that he is imprisoned. He's not He's not saying, woe is me because I'm suffering here. He's not looking for sympathy from the church then. And he wants the church in Ephesus more than anything to understand that he is suffering, that he is imprisoned, because of his devotion to Jesus. And it's actually all for their good. It's actually all for their good. And because it is, because he can see a purpose for his suffering, he is actually willing to suffer. He is actually, as I guess James, the Apostle James puts it, he's he's willing to count it all joy when he faces sufferings because he sees the purpose in it. And Paul finishes this thought around suffering with what he says at the very end of this passage we've just read in Ephesians 3.13, when he encourages the church not to lose heart over what he is suffering because it's actually for their good. Let's read that now. Ephesians 3.13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So that's one reason why Paul refers to himself. And here's... Another reason or some other reasons why Paul refers to himself in this passage in Ephesians 3 verses 2 to 5. He says, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly, maybe not so briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now being revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Do you see now why Paul's sharing about the role that he's actually playing in God's master plan? Paul refers to himself simply to encourage the church that the truths that he is unpacking in great and rich detail are not of human origin. That's what Paul's getting at. He's saying, guys, this message that I've got here, it is not of human origin. But they're actually divine revelations direct from God himself. Paul's basically validating the message that he's been tasked with sharing by saying this. He says, you know, what I'm sharing is worth listening to because it's not from me. It's from God. It doesn't originate from me. I'm simply a messenger who has been gifted with a great Message to share. God has now revealed the mystery of Christ, and I get to share all about this great mystery with all of you. That is essentially what Paul's getting at. And we get an understanding from this passage that Paul had kind of assumed that most people would have heard about what he's talking about. As he puts it in Ephesians 3 2, they would have at least heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you but paul really wanted to bring home that what he was sharing was completely true it was a real deal it wasn't fake news it was truth divinely revealed to him by the one true god and therefore it was worth taking on board now i love this so much paul kind of says just enough to get across his i guess get across and maybe affirm his apostolic authority, that he has a right to say what he's saying and what he's saying is actually valid, that he is genuinely apostle, that what he's sharing has been revealed by God and therefore is worth listening to before he gets distracted. It's like he kind of shares a bit about what's going on and then he gets distracted by the wonderful mystery of Christ. Paul's mind and heart quickly move from kind of outlining why um, his role, what his role was in God's work and laying a foundation for the weight of the message to the wonder and excitement of the message that he has been tasked with sharing the mystery of Christ. Here's how Paul explains what the mystery of Christ is in Ephesians 3, verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise In Christ Jesus through the gospel. That is the mystery summed up right there. Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. They are partakers of the promises that are in Christ Jesus through receiving and hearing and accepting the gospel personally. And this is something that Paul's already written about in detail in Ephesians 1 and 2, but he gets so excited that he can't help but bring it home again. Isn't this great news, guys? This mystery of Christ Jesus is incredible, and that is what he does. He just can't help but get caught up in and reflect on the good news of the gospel all over again. He tries to move on with the very first words he says in Ephesians one for this reason, and then he gets caught up with excitement and wants to unpack the, the wonder and the truth of the gospel all over again. And Paul continues on in verses 7 to 12 to excitedly point to the incredible thing that happens for people, that happens as people, Jews and Gentiles, unite together as one body, as God's desired, diverse and beautiful church. Let's read this passage now, Ephesians 3, verse 7. the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal pr- purpose that he had realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Now, I don't know if you've missed this before, but I certainly had until recently. In verses 7 to 9, you know, Paul again explains his call, his part to play in God's grand plans. And he again reiterates, hey guys, I'm no one special here. Don't look at me and think I'm something when I'm not. This, I'm the least of all the saints. All I'm telling you about is the wonder of the gospel. All I want to get across to you is just how awesome our mighty God is. I'm saved by grace, by an awesome God, just like you are too or can be, if you trust in Jesus Christ today. But then in verse 8 to 10, Paul goes on to make one of the most profound statements about the mission of God's church in all of Scripture. One of the purposes, one of the key outcomes or purposes that God's church is to fulfill, why it is the church exists. Here's what Paul writes in verse 8. To me, the manifold wisdom of god might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places what on earth is paul getting at here well paul's saying that as we as we live as we breathe as we invest and serve and love one another as the church we are quite literally making bold and powerful declarations we are literally teaching rulers and authorities in the heavenly places about the manifold wisdom of God. You know, the words principalities and powers in this passage, they're Greek words, and you guessed it, they refer to angels, demons, celestial rulers, and authorities. Like, It's what it says there. It doesn't mean something else. It means exactly as it's written. Paul's saying that when we encounter God's love through receiving the gospel personally, when we find hope and joy and life through relationship with Jesus, when we we find and experience community as we become sons and daughters adopted into God's family and adopted into local churches for encouragement and to play our part in God's family, and have our lives and our hearts transformed in community, and then as we live and bless and serve and care for one another and other believers as the church, empowered by Holy Spirit, what it is we're doing is we're actually teaching rulers and authorities in the heavenly places about the manifold wisdom of God. Isn't that incredible? You know, I was doing some reading and I came across a great article by a man called Brian Peterson. And I I really like the way that he explains what this means for us as the church, what the implications are for us as the church. Here's what he says. The church is called to be the sign, promise, and embodiment of what God intends for the whole world and to do so in the face of and in witness to the opposing powers of the world. The church is called to be a living declaration that the hostile powers cannot stand. Their final defeat is assured. How amazing is that? We, as the church, are saved by God and we're called by God to be the sign, the promise and embodiment of what it is that God intends for the whole world to be like and the whole world to enjoy through relationship with him. And when we all play our part as sisters and brothers and in God's church, we're actually playing a part in realising the eternal purposes of God. Can you believe that? Isn't that incredible? As John MacArthur, a a pastor from the US, puts it, he says, our redemption is ultimately for the purpose of making the glory of of the Lord known to his creation. In other words, we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and that is wonderful. What a gift it is to us. But here's the thing our salvation, our redemption is not for us alone. In fact, our, we've been saved by God primarily, not for our own good, but for his glory to participate in his work, in the eternal purposes of God, seeing his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, seeing his will be done in the darkest of situations and the darkest of places in our world today, to play our part in God's family, just like the Apostle Paul plays his particular part that God called him to play in God's family too. Here's the thing, friends, when we all play our part in God's family and joyfully serve him in all the ways that he calls us to, you're actually joining with God in realising his eternal purposes. And as you do those things with joy, you're actually teaching, teaching rulers and authorities about the manifold wisdom of God. You're pointing them to God. You're pointing him to the glory of God. Think about this. When we serve, when we invest in the faith of young children as a teacher or as a helper in Liberty Kids team, we're joining with God in realising his eternal purposes and we're teaching rulers and authorities about the manifold wisdom of God. When we check in with a member of our community who we know lives by themselves, they live alone, and we gift them with a meal, displaying the beautiful kindness and, and generosity and, and love of God to them. You know, we're, we're joining with God in realising his eternal purposes and we're teaching rulers and authorities about the manifold wisdom of God. When we gather together regularly with other friends and church family in Jesus' name down in Queen's Park each week, if the weather's fine or in people's homes if it's wet We're joining with God in realising his eternal purposes and we're teaching rulers and authorities about the manifold wisdom of God. When we welcome sisters and brothers who are very different to us and treat them with the same love and affection and, and give them the same welcome that we would give anyone else who we might naturally warm to or anything like that, we are joining with God in realising his eternal purposes and we're teaching rulers and authorities about the manifold wisdom of God. You know, friends, in all these ways and in so many more, we're daily, daily, we're daily declaring and embodying the, the glory of God and his wisdom to all who are watching. And that includes the rulers and authorities that exist in the spiritual realm. And a united, a diverse, Christ-like, humble church, a church made up of Jews and Gentiles who are no longer divided, who are equal, cherished, celebrated members of a church community, that kind of united church is a powerful, powerful reminder for Satan. It is a powerful, powerful reminder reminder for Satan that he did not win, that he is in fact fighting a losing battle. Or actually, it's a reminder to Satan that in fact, he's already lost. He failed to destroy God's plans. As John MacArthur writes, a unified faithful church is one more reminder to the devil of his defeat. And living in peace and purity with other believers glorifies God in manifesting his victory over evil. You know reading and reflecting on all of these things have really got me thinking, well what am I? What am I teaching? What am I teaching the rulers and authorities about the manifold wisdom of God through the way that I live my life? As the angels and, and demons? see me going about my life, what's my life actually teaching? What's my life song, if you like? Is my life pointing them to the manifold wisdom of God, to the wonder of the gospel, or is it pointing them to something else altogether? And for those of us who are members of a local church, how, how does our lived example, how does our lived example as the church teach rulers of, and authorities about the manifold wisdom of God? Are we caught up in the wonder of the mystery and the manifold wisdom of God like Paul was? Or are we caught up in other things? Now, hearing all this today, you might be thinking, well, look, that's great, Joel. It's great in theory. But you only need to observe me for a few minutes to know that my life example isn't that great. I love Jesus, but man, am I flawed. I often sort of say the one thing and then I live the other. I am the epitome. I epitomize what it means to be a hypocrite. You know, Paul thinks he's the least of the saints, but I guarantee, take a look at me and you will see that Paul is a master in comparison to me. How can I possibly play a role in Jesus' church and participate in this grand mission that we've heard about this morning. Well, I'm with you. I have thought the exact same thing time and time and time again. But here's the great news, and this is something that we need to remind ourselves of regularly. We can't, but God can. We can't, but God can. We can't live like this. We can't live like this. But Jesus through his spirit, he actually wants to strengthen us. He wants to strengthen us with power and fill us with the very fullness of God. And Jesus will take us on this path if we lean into him and invite him to actually lead us and have his way in and through our lives. Because, as Paul reminds us in verse 12, we actually have boldness and we have access to approach God. We don't have to kind of approach him and wonder if it's okay to kind of come near. This passage says that we have boldness and access with confidence to approach God simply because we have placed our faith in Jesus. That's it. No other reason. Not because of anything we could offer or be or possibly do for God. Nothing. Simply through faith in his son. And As some of us might know, we are called as people who'd want to reach out to God or as people who follow Jesus to approach God confidently with our requests, sure that he will hear us through prayer. And Paul, in the remaining verses of Ephesians 3, he prays a ripper prayer. All prayer is great because it comes from a heart that wants to honour God and celebrate God and join with him in his work, But Paul's prayer is a beautiful prayer. If you've never read it before, we're going to go through it in a moment. But at the end of Ephesians 3, he prays this prayer and it's an encouraging one. It's an uplifting and a truly powerful prayer. And this morning, I'm going to close by actually just praying this prayer over us. Because the wonder of this prayer is it says, for this reason at the start. So in other words, what it's saying is everything that we've looked at today Paul is saying, for this reason, and then says a prayer. So he's actually praying that all of these things would come about, that God would work it through, that God would make a way for us to join him and celebrate and have that same sort of passion for the gospel like he has. So I'm going to close this morning by reading the final verses to pray the very same prayer that Paul was praying over the church in Ephesus, over us as a church here at Liberty. You know, I know from chatting with many of you that that you have such a passion, you have such a desire to join with God in his work of seeing his gospel displayed and shared. And we can only do that. We can only ever do that by allowing by by allowing Holy Spirit to really transform and guide us and, and leaning in to Jesus, trusting in him, resting in him, allowing him to embrace us and guide us in the days and weeks and months and years and decades ahead. We can't do it any other way. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you're listening to this today, pray this prayer with me and be encouraged to really press into Jesus and lean into him again and invite Holy Spirit to to really empower you and to get captured afresh with the wonder of the mystery of Christ and your role to play in God's grand plans that he will empower you to participate in, in his strength, in the strength of the Holy Spirit and not your own. If that's you, Pray with me in a moment. And if you're listening today and you don't yet know Jesus Christ personally and you don't know what it even means to have relationship with Jesus, I just really want to encourage you to take this opportunity to bow your knee before the Father, to come humbly before God and just reach out to Him and say, God, as, as we're praying right now, I just realize that, that I, I want to connect with you. I want to know you. Please, Lord, would you forgive me? I want to be free I want to embrace Jesus. I want to be found in him. I want to be a part of Jesus' family. Please forgive me, Lord. I choose to place my faith in Jesus, in your son today. And if you do that, Jesus is ready and waiting to welcome you into his family. And he will want to welcome you into community as well with other believers so you can be encouraged and strengthened and contribute to his church, which is ultimately what he calls all of us to do. So if that's you, I just want to encourage you, life is found in Jesus and better life, abundant life, more abundant than you can find anywhere else. Would you turn to him today? He loves you and he will forgive you and he will free you to live life as God always intended. Turn to him today, if that's you. Well, let's pray and I'll read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And as I'm reading them, I'm praying them over each and every one of us today. Let's pray. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith,